0: Welcome into 4 Down Territory. I'm Kyle Madsen, the managing editor of NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports TV group. Joining me, as he does every week, the wonderful, the brilliant Doug Perrar, the managing editor of Touchdown Wire. Doug, how we doing, man? Good, man. Happy uh, day after National Tight Ends Day. Yeah, that's big time. George Kittle did not play on National Tight Ends Day. That, I, I don't know, I, I don't feel great about that. Like, I feel like the NFL it's made a mistake.
1: He didn't want to overwhelm the holiday with his brilliance, is what it
0: was, <laughs> and a good day for tight ends too. Uh, but a bad day for officials, and that's where we're going to start today. Which
1: week is this? Is it a day ending, and why? Yes, here we are again.
0: Yep. No, week seven, second consecutive week that uh, officials have become a topic on this year's show. So we're at the we're at the point with NFL officiating where there needs to be some kind of intervention. This isn't, this isn't a missed call here and a missed call there and a hyper slow-mo. Oh, look, he actually missed his call type of thing. This is becoming an epidemic. And one week after John Hussey and his crew made an absolute mockery of the 49ers Browns game down there in Cleveland, Brad Allen and his crew calling 10 non-offsetting penalties on the Dolphins and zero On the philadelphia eagles the two offsetting penalties called on the eagles by the way were an offside call in which allen's crew got it completely wrong (laughs) the left guard was not in the neutral zone and then an unnecessary roughness call on dolphins offensive tackle austin jackson in which eagles defensive lineman jalen carter openly flopped and admitted to flopping after the game
1: he said i was thinking of lebron and i thought at that point you know what rule of cool uh,
0: fine You win. And maybe that's what he told the official at the time. He's like, oh, I'm LeBron. And he went, all right, fine. The flag stays. Yep. Uh, more and more, though, it's not just like bad officiating, though. We have incorrect calls that are starting to affect the outcomes of games. Mm-hmm. So there were two late defensive penalties against the Colts, against the Browns that set up Cleveland's game-winning touchdown. The Those calls were... Ticky tack at best uh-huh. and, and bad at worst. Yeah, and then and then there was the bad spot in that Steelers Rams game that allowed Pittsburgh to close it out when the ball should have gone to the Rams on downs. So, Doug, I ask you, uh-huh. assuming the NFL even gives a dang about all this, how do they fix it?
1: I'm not sure the NFL
0: cares. Uh, Hussey should have been
1: suspended after getting that many calls wrong, but there he was officiating uh, the Giants Commanders game. Maybe that was his punishment. <laughs> Hussie didn't have to do a pool report after a 49ers brand. As far as we know, he was not held, held, held accountable at all. Maybe the difference with Allen's crew is that it was so one-sided, and that's where the league's integrity comes into question with angry Dolphins fans and maybe others insisting the NFL has it in the tank for the Eagles. And I'm not saying that Allen is taking the points. There's no reason to assume that the refs are on the take. It's Occam's razor, never attribute to malice what can be explained by stupidity. But the lack of accountability creates a hive of incompetence that perpetuates itself. Every referee should make him or herself available to the media after every game. That should be by default. If you don't want to talk to the ref, fine, the ref goes home. But the, the, the head official for every game, this should not be, oh, we want a pool report, so we'll designate one person. That should be automatic. While Anderson, the NFL's VP of officiating, should do conference calls, I would say, monthly with football media in season to explain calls that happen every week. Fines and suspensions should happen for poor performance, and they should be made public because they certainly are for players. But honestly, Kyle, I start to wonder if the NFL is going with the there's no such thing as bad publicity ethos. All this horrible officiating creates massive fan and analyst involvement on social media, and maybe that's acceptable to the league. I will also say that when the league is suspending players for the slightest hint of violation of the league gambling policies, as the league gets more and more into bed with betting services, it would behoove the league to avoid this stuff getting too out of hand. But that's just me.
0: No, I'm with you. And it feels like every year there's a week or two where the officiating talk is at a fever pitch and there's a missed call here and then a missed call that changes an exciting uh, Bills Chiefs game and everybody talks about the officials but this year feels different because it's not one or two calls that are getting under the spotlight it's full games and full officiating crews and not just a missed it, this is not egregious roughing the passer calls right and there there, there have been those too but it's just getting spots wrong. And then there's, you know, the judgment calls, like some of the ones that, that we we talked about with John Hussey's crew mm-hmm. in the 49ers Browns game last week. So this is, it's at a point where this, this cornucopia of ineptitude leads us to talk about it on things like this show. So unfortunately it doesn't feel like the league is going to be inclined to do anything. Uh, they, they've never really done anything in the past. I know they made some officials more uh made more full-time officials as if that was going to change anything it hasn't um and the officials will be a talking point you know through monday maybe into tuesday and then everybody will move on to next week and uh, and and until the officiating becomes a problem again it just becomes a dead topic but um i'm not even saying it's the fault of the officials i think it's just hard like it like hard. Uh, like reffing is is too hard that's that's the taker. And I, I think what the NFL needs to do to change it, and the reason I don't think they will is because this would cost money, is they need to have an additional official who watches the game on a monitor. Maybe they're in the TV truck. Maybe they're in an isolated room in the press box where they are privy to all the angles that they get in New York or whatever it is. And they have a direct line of communication to the officials on the field. So when there's a bad spot, and they can see that real quick on the replay while the refs are getting everything squared away, while the players are all looking and getting in the ref's way, it, it would be quicker to have somebody watch and go, oh, that's a bad spot. Hey, that needs to be moved back a foot. And then you can go out and measure. Or the Tayshawn Gibson hit for the 49ers against the Browns, for example. Shoulder-to-shoulder hit, gets flagged. One replay, you can see, oh, you know what? Clean hit. And then you can move on, and you can avoid so much of this conversation by adding one person to each game, but again, I, I don't think that there's enough repercussions to the NFL outside of people like us talking about it that that they're going to pay to have another person to get calls right. Because no, the, the only the only thing that goes wrong for the NFL is we go, oh, the officiating is so bad. Okay, but what about week eight? Let's look forward to it. And yeah. that's, that's how it's going to go.
1: Well, what does this bad officiating do for, uh, you know, social SEO? It's NFL, 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 NFL. The NFL's fine with that. All
0: right. Well, let's move on to second down. I look forward to talking more officiating with you next week. All right. So we're getting closer and closer to the October 31st trade deadline. And there will be trades. I I promise you that. Uh, But which move would you like to see if you could become the NFL's personnel czar? They say, Doug, you are all powerful. Make any move that you want. What trade would you like to see that just automatically stamped good to go?
1: Well, between when I wrote this script and (laughs) we went on the air, the Eagles, Howie Roseman did it again. He he pulled off one of the trades that I thought was great. It was Kevin Byard for like Mm -hmm. a fifth and a sixth and – Terrell Edmonds, like, how do you keep doing this? He's now, you know, that, that's how he. Uh, but I will say uh, for this exercise, Kirk Cousins to either the Browns or the Jets. These teams each have awesome defenses, good receivers, good rushing attacks, and everything you need but a credible quarterback. We know that Cousins won't be in Minnesota next year. The Vikings are playing for draft picks at this point. And while Cousins isn't the be all end all at quarterback, he'd be a far better option than either Zach Wilson or Deshaun Watson. I don't even know what's going on there. Uh, I think that both of these teams have constructed everything else very well, and they could both miss the playoffs because the most important position in sports isn't covered. And as a person who loves great defense, almost more than great offense, and would like to see it rewarded, I need to see both of these teams in the playoffs. So there
0: you go. I think uh, I think Cousins is a great answer, and probably the answer I would have gone with. I'm going to pick a different Viking, though. I would like to see Daniil Hunter on the Seahawks and this so was and Carol.
1: so what everyone else in my town
0: <laughs> this was uh before chenna nuosu went down for the season with a uh, with a pectoral injury uh he was one of their team leaders in pressures he had 15 on the season uh really good Outside play. of they're yeah, gonna miss yeah outside of new uh, chenna nuosu they don't have a ton going on on the edge uh most of their most of their top pass rushers in terms of pressures are interior guys with uh jaron reed and draymond jones and i know that uh mario edwards it does a little bit of interior yeah. and, and edge stuff but uh he plays about half the time on the inside they need As help does, on the yeah. edge yeah uh,
1: and boy Mafia is coming along but still
0: yeah and and i i think they <laughs> i think the seahawks are close they have so much talent on offense, and if you add a pass rusher like Daniil Hunter to that defense, I think all of a sudden you have a team that can catch the 49ers. Specifically, uh, this version of the 49ers, it's a little bit banged up. So mm-hmm. I would love to see Daniil Hunter see Daniil Hunter on that defense. Maybe he struggles in a defense that's not blitzing 54% of the time or whatever Brian Flores is doing out there in Minnesota, but I, I have a hard time believing that he wouldn't go in and and make an immediate impact on a team that's just like, Seattle's right there, and I think Hunter could really put him over the top. So that's the move that I would go make to just add another team to the mix in the NFC.
1: Yeah, coming into the Monday night game, which we're recording right before that, it's actually fifty-seven percent, and the Patriots are second at <laughs> forty-four. It's just it's it's Max Brian Flores. Well, even if New Oster was healthy, it, you know what did the Eagles teach us last year? What are the Jets teaching us this year? It, it, there was that one year, I think it was eleven where the Seahawks signed Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett in the offseason. That worked out pretty well. But what are these teams teaching us? You cannot have enough pass rushers. Yeah. You put them in a rotation. You keep them fresh, and they just just coming after you. Um, so I would say even if Duosi was healthy, um, yeah. you know, you get a guy like Hunter, maybe offload a, I don't know, second-round pick for next year, yeah, do it. Or would- if it was Howie Roseman, it would be a package of double bubble and like an old – Flat higher because Howie, you know, is, is it just show.
0: hypnosis? Do you think? I don't know. Howie well, Roseman, I don't believe
1: be. me, Kyle. If uh, if I knew his secrets, I would not be here. I would be in Barbados in a mansion. There, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Let's let's jump over to third down. The Browns defense is more vulnerable against Gardner Minshew and the Colts than it had been all season long in Cleveland's 39 to 38 victory in Indianapolis. But I think everybody saw that coming Gardner Minshew and the Colts <laughs> lighting up the Browns. Uh, sure. miles Garrett though, boy, what a game. Um, two strip sacks, a blocked field goal where he jumped over the Colts line without touching a player. Just an unbelievable feat of athleticism.
1: Remember the ever... box jump video we had a few years ago? Well, that's, yeah. that's where it pays off.
0: Like Cam Chancellor doing that. Remember Cam Chancellor did that? Yeah. I think it was to the Panthers in a playoff game. Yeah. Cam Chancellor doing that is like, of course, it's a safety. Miles Garrett is a refrigerator-sized human doing that. You know, yeah, With Chancellor or Troy Polamalu, it's one thing. When it's this guy, yeah. <laughs> they want to outlaw the tush push. Outlaw that. Out on that play, don't let him do that anymore. No, uh, so he became the first player to record two or more sacks, two or more forced fumbles, and a field goal block in the same game since the year 2000. So, uh, two defensive players have won the NFL's MVP award. There was Alan Page of the Purple People Eater Vikings in 1971, and then Lawrence Taylor of the New York Giants in 1986. Could Garrett make it a third? Because I mean, right now it's really hard to say that anybody in the league is playing at a higher level and certainly playing at a higher level as consistently as miles Garrett is
1: Uh, right now. I put Garrett in the mix for MVP and I put TJ Watt there too. And I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how that would play out at the end of the season when the votes actually happen, but it's possible. And for that to happen, Garrett will have to play at this level all season. I don't think that's an issue. The man is from another planet. Um, You'd also need an unsure season from all the usual suspects. There can't be a quarterback or a running back who's just dominating. And so far this season, I don't think there's been a that guy to run away with it. So it's possible. I mean, we're all looking at the Chiefs, going, "Okay, Mahomes is starting to get hot, and does he mm-hmm. just you know go off and, and do whatever?" Uh, Christian McCaffrey, th- they're offensive players, and they're always going to get the the default. But yeah, I think this might be a season in which a defensive player takes it.
0: It feels like, yeah, it feels like that right now. But for me, and the reason, so this is not to disparage Miles Garrett. He's been unbelievable. I'm running him the Defensive Player of the Year award right now. All due respect to Micah Parsons and TJ Watt. But I can't, with how Jalen Hurts played, I thought Jalen Hurts looked a lot better Mm -hmm. against Miami. I thought Patrick Mahomes looked a lot better uh, against um Against the Chargers, and granted the Chargers' defense stinks, but Mahomes looked a little bit more like Mahomes than he had really all season. I thought on on on. Well, because
1: the Chargers were playing zone, and you don't do that.
0: (laughs) So so strange. How Brandon Staley is. (sighs) Anyways,
1: by the way, the Browns need to stop playing so much cover one because the Colts had a bunch of man beaters against them. So that's a thing to watch. But anyway,
0: the the other uh, and Lamar Jackson is another (laughs) player who I haven't. I have never really thought about this year. And then he goes and lights up the, the lions who were just cruising. Yep. Yep. Uh, it, so I think Lamar Jackson is in that conversation. I think there are enough quarterbacks starting to turn the corner as we get into late October and into early November where the good teams start ratcheting it up that I think one of those guys, or at least one of those guys is going to pull away. But man, it's really hard through seven weeks. If you were submitting a vote right now, it would be really, really difficult for me to vote for somebody other than miles Garrett. Just when you look at a, his production and b like the production on the amount of pass rushing snaps he has, it's not like he's, he's getting after the passer 200 plus times. He's significantly lower in, in, uh, pass rush attempts than really anybody else in the top, you know, five or 10 at that position. So I, I I've been super impressed by miles Garrett this year. And given what he's done and what that Browns defense has done through seven weeks, even with that, that 38 points from the Gardner Minshew led Colts, I, I still think it's miles Garrett through week seven, but I don't think that necessarily means he's going to win it. Uh, come, come February.
1: I'm looking at the 86 MVP voting. When Taylor won, Eric Dickerson was second. Dan Marina was third in a year. We had 23 interceptions. Welcome to the eighties. Joe Morris of the giants. John Elway in your way through 19 touchdowns, now 13 interceptions. Again, welcome to the eighties. Uh Tony Eason was seventh in the MVP voting. <laughs> Mark <laughs> Navarro was sixth. Uh, sure. So yeah, I mean, and, and when you've got 20.5 sacks like Taylor did that year, yeah, it, it could happen.
0: Yeah, But that's
1: that's what needs to happen. You need a defensive guy to just own the league in a way that no offensive player does.
0: Yeah, they they... If the Browns go win that division and their defense gives up less than 20 points a game and Garrett has 25 sacks, then, I mean, sure. But that's, that's a long, that's a long uphill climb.
1: I actually have a two way solution here. Solves okay. the Browns quarterback problem and makes Garrett the MVP. Miles okay, quarterback. I'm in. It, any worse. <laughs> I'm in. Just run the damn option all the time. Who's going to tackle it? Yeah, good luck with that.
0: You just jump over the line. Yeah, see? Boom. There you go.
1: We have, we're solving problems for the NFL this week, Kyle. I feel good about her. I feel good about us.
0: Yeah, submit this to, put this, give this, a, make this our Emmy reel. Yes. Uh, and maybe our Nobel Prize reel. TBD. And our
1: Ripper reel all at once.
0: <laughs> let's, let's move to fourth down. I ask you this at the end of every show, Doug. Fourth down. What was your worst of the week? Non officiating.
1: Non officiating have to now classify this. Uh, I've got Desmond Ritter's three fumbles against the Buccaneers in a 16-13 to 13 win for the Falcons. Oh. <laughs> Whew, per NFL research, the Falcons became came the first team to lose three fumbles in the red zone since the 2004 Cardinals, which tells you what a remarkable – feet this was. Ritter fumbled at the Tampa Bay 20-yard line, the Tampa Bay 1-yard line, and the Tampa Bay 1-furt line, to quote Chris Berman, and the only reason this didn't lose Atlanta the game was that the Buccaneers seemed similarly interested in fumbling and did nothing to capitalize on Ritter's mistakes. They got no points on any of those turnovers, which was uh, there was a first half ended, then there was a punt, then there was an interception, so that's equally remarkable. It's like, you know, resistible force movable object, but uh yeah uh, we're still kind of waiting for Ritter to capitalize on his you know NFL opportunity. I thought he threw some good balls, but you can't fumble three times in the red zone. I'm sorry that's just not how it's going to go well for you.
0: the ju- the the letting up into the end zone, yeah, was such a rookie mistake by a second year player. I was baffled that that happened. Like, man, you have not earned the right to cruise into the end zone. You got to sprint through the finish line, my guy. Yeah. That, was a, that was a tough look. Uh, f- for me, it's the Las Vegas Raiders just as a whole as a staff record label and as a crew. Yep. So I don't even know where to start. So okay, so they lost to Tyson Bajan. You can that, start there. That by itself is bad. Yes, Tyson Beighton, undrafted out of Division Two Shepard. Although he threw something like twenty four hundred passes at the college level, mm-hmm. given how he looked, which was not awful, and given the Brock Purdy thing, I'm starting to think that the market inefficiency when drafting quarterbacks is just pass attempts. Yeah. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna log that for, for next draft. And his
1: a dot on the play. game was like 2.1 yards. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, 20, 21 of 29, 162 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, the Browns. I
1: think he was throwing the ball backwards, Aaron Brooks.
0: It was a lot of check downs, a lot of screens, but this is about the Raiders being bad. Yes. They turned it over three times. They started Brian Hoyer, who I don't think has won a start since like the first Obama term. Um I, I don't, he's lost 13 consecutive starts. They drafted a quarterback in the fourth round. And I understand that that quarterback did not play well in his start against the chargers, but your other option was Brian Hoyer.
1: Who I believe I actually has not been part of a win since there were actual Patriots in new England in the 18th century.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably correct. So <laughs> he, hasn't had a w since he signed the declaration of independence. It's crazy. Yes. No, so signed the Declaration of Independence,
1: wrote the Constitution, then went out and lost a game,
0: through <laughs> and, then, and then had his quill intercepted. Yes, no, I, so I, I don't, I don't understand the process of starting Brian Hoyer. I don't understand the process of then bringing Aiden O'Connell in late in the game. It feels like those two roles should be reversed. Their defense did not look good against <laughs> a player who, and I thought their defense had been decent to this point against a player who had no business being any good against them, and. It felt like they were a team that got a win against the Patriots, and decided that against Tyson Bajant and the Bears, they were going to be able to throw their helmets onto the field and go win a game. Well, they and made the got... former look
1: like Walter Payton. I mean, that was a yeah, soft defense, man. It was it's bad. It's
0: outrageous. Yeah, and for for that, that to me circles back to the head coach. And this has been a disaster for the Raiders. Josh McDaniels is not a good head coach. I don't know that Mark Davis is going to be able to afford to let him go and hire somebody new who is going to be better. And I, I think that while all the vibes were good, that they beat the Packers and then the Patriots and they go to three and three and watch out, here come the Raiders, woo woo. That, that was a season ending loss to me yesterday when yeah. you lose 30 to 12 in a game that wasn't even that close. De- Devante Adams dropped a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's where the Raiders are at right now. It was just a, a brutal game to watch. I was so mad every time red zone switched to it. I wanted no parts of it. And I I'm, I'm done with the Raiders this year, man. Hey, hey, hey,
1: we got bears Chargers in prime time next week. Are you excited? I'm excited.
0: No, not excited. Not, excited. not one bit.
1: We are not going to export four down territory with the, uh,
0: I'll be rooting for the officiating.
1: Yeah. We'll, we'll have an oral history of Brian Horr's time in the constitutional football league. <laughs> it's
0: perfect. Uh, Doug, this is great. Thank you so much for, uh, for talking football with me as always. Um, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. We will be back next week with another installment of four down territory. See ya.
1: Kyle. Thank you everyone for watching and listening and reading.
0: Appreciate it.